Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Hey, everybody. Episode four, Bob Ruff. Here you go. Finally, the upper, the higher court orders the city of West Memphis to respond to the requests. They finally do, and they give them the evidence log, and there's all the evidence. And then finally, uh, in December this year, or this past December, a couple months ago, um, the, uh, the city attorney for West Memphis invited Damien's attorneys into the evidence room at the West Memphis Police Department. Lo and behold, there is every piece of evidence as he put it, neatly organized and cataloged in the evidence room where it's been the whole time. They were straight up lying about it being gone all that time. Um, physically saw the ligatures, which is what we want to test. We saw that we, we confirmed that they are there. They are still tied. They're intact. They're preserved. Um, so then it's back to the DA or the, the, the prosecuting attorney. Okay, now the evidence is here. Why don't you file the, you know, do this joint motion to test the evidence since you said you would and he says no you have to file it with the court um so and where we stand right now is damien's defense has filed a motion with the court to do to use the mbac extraction method to do dna testing on the ligatures um in evidence and uh, and cressman now has probably about 10 15 days left to respond we don't know if he's going to respond and, and try to fight it or if he's going to, you know, respond and say, fine, I agree. Let's go ahead and test it. So that's where we stand right now. Hmm. What a jacked up case. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would they possibly gain? I mean, even if this case were to say, say the audience or not the audience, but the, the public bought the story that the evidence was destroyed at some junction, the, the truth has, and this is, this is an interesting thing that I, that I've found is that ultimately truth will always come to light. It's like it, it wants to, it's like, it, it's, it's there. It hates being suppressed and the truth wants to come through and the lies, even, even multiple layers of lies eventually will fade away because the people that are supporting the lies will eventually fade away and the truth will come out. At some junction, somebody would have found that evidence and going, holy crap, this, yeah, yeah, here it is. You know, I found it. And, you know, even if it was a evidence clerk 10 years from now, they would have, when, you know, the current police chief and everybody else that had put out, you know, whatever press and whatever stories they had put out, um, they had gone away. There's no, it's almost like a witness that shortly after the crime still has a relationship with the uh, the suspect and so doesn't want to doesn't want to say anything but 10 years later when they've broke up and you know then the witness will come forward and and the case will get solved well uh, eventually this evidence would have come out what what could they have possibly gained by suppressing it you know i i, I don't really know I, there's nothing that's worth what they're doing uh, trying to hide the truth. There are theories that they're just trying to avoid a lawsuit. You know, if Damien, Jason, and Jesse are, if their names are cleared and it's proven 
that they were innocent, then they're they would possibly be open up to having to pay the state of Arkansas to having to pay a big settlement. There's what we often see is there's like this legacy system that happens in these district attorney and police offices and police departments where everybody's trying to protect the legacy of the the people that came before them, you know, so because it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't make sense. Keith Crespin was not a prosecutor in 1993 he wasn't even around in 2011 when the alfred plea was put into place he's got no dog in this fight whatsoever but for some reason he i mean probably the most egregious of anyone just straight up lied and said evidence wasn't there that they knew was there and and that was the whole time you know i i was i was telling damien because he was obviously pissed when they said the evidence was gone I told him when they first said it, it's not gone. We have the emails from Ellington saying that he's got people packaging it. How could it have been gone 15 years ago? And so it was, well, were they lying then or are they lying now? It turns out they're lying. They're lying now. Well, maybe both. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's no excuse for it. And, and I can't mm-hmm. put a logical reason as to why. I mean, all I can think of is by saying that the evidence was lost, that there's a possibility that either Cressman or the police chief or whoever truly thinks that Damien might be guilty and that maybe this is just posturing, right? Because I've, I've heard theories as a group that, you know, anyone who thinks that the West Memphis three are guilty, they call them the nons. It's, I don't mean to be disparaging in saying that, but that's, there were supporters and non-supporters. And so the, the non-group have had this, this theory that, uh, that the whole idea of testing the evidence is a publicity stunt, that Damien doesn't really want to test the evidence, that he's just trying to, I don't know, garner support on the internet. Or there's even people who said that, well, I bullied him into it. I came along and put a box him into a corner where they had no choice. But to, and, and so all I can think of is that maybe Cressman or somebody at the police department actually believed that ridiculous narrative. And they thought, well, look, Here's the way everybody stays face. We say the evidence is lost. Damien obviously doesn't really want to test the evidence. So he'll just be like, oh, it's lost. And we just move on. And it finally ends this discussion. Uh, but they, you know, Damien called their bluff because he, it, it wasn't a media stunt. I didn't bully him into anything. Damien wants his name cleared. And he believes in your technology. He believes that's what's going to finally find the truth he's not and people should consider this the guy that they that that they convicted and sentenced to death for this murder has been informed that there's a technology that can pull out you know uh, multiple times more dna out of this evidence than any other method used before essentially if his dna is on that crime scene they're going to find it and he's the one that is screaming and fighting to test the DNA. And it's the prosecutors who could supposedly believe that he's guilty that are fighting it so much so that they're lying about even having the evidence anymore. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, go back to all the scenarios we we're talking about before. It's Occam's razor. What seems like the most obvious? Does it seem like Damien's a guilty guy trying to use his impact testing? Or does it seem like the prosecutor actually believes that he's guilty? Because all it would take is what Damien's never been to those woods. He's never been around those boys. 
if they find one of his skin cells in one of those pieces of evidence, it's game over for him. Any public support he's ever had is gone. Any anything he's he, he makes his living on Patreon as a content creator. That's gone. Everything's gone. Oh, he goes back once, to prison. Well, he won't go back to prison because he's already convicted and sentenced. So oh, that, well, that's so he's, okay, he's but... not at risk of going back to prison. Um, it would just basically prove that all these years and all these millions of dollars people have raised to help him were for nothing because he's actually guilty. So that, oh, that's yeah. what he's risking by doing this DNA testing. One well, the, skin cell the, would do well, that to him. Uh, take more than one, but um, 10 at the or most. Whatever. Yeah, whatever it takes to get a DNA yeah. profile, yeah. that's all it would take. But say, his say 10, yeah, 10, 10 intact skin cells, he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which is uh, interesting um and and you would also think that like the prosecuting attorney would say you know what i want to prove that my predecessor was correct and that right. he he correctly prosecuted these guys and they were the ones that did it and it's not like it's it's a it's a huge expense you know sending we're this paying stuff... for it oh well then the prosecutor doesn't even have to pay for it yeah well then yeah. By the way, we could use a discount on that. I'll talk to you about that. <laughs> oh, right on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can assure you the discount on my side will will not make much of a difference. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the um, again, if all the sides are pursuing the truth and they keep the victims in mind, and in this case, it's interesting. The West Memphis Three, to me, when I look at the West Memphis Three, there's two sets of three. There's the three right. original, the little boys that were, that were killed. And, you know, we can't forget that uh, assuming that the, 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 the three men that were actually convicted of this crime and then later released didn't do it. That means there's still a murderer out there. Right. Somebody, somebody capable of killing three little boys, stripping them of their clothes, tying them up with shoelaces, stuffing them into a creek, hiding their clothes by stuffing those with a stick. Somebody capable of doing that is still out there. And then further capable of letting three more children go to prison for the rest of their lives for the crime they committed. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, that, the, that's a monster. This, this the is level a- of evil that that dude has so as part of my podcast, I, I went through and actually kind of laid things out. I call it the, the three levels of evil. Mm-hmm. And the, somebody capable of doing that is way up there. I mean, that, that's, that's, a, um, that's hard to comprehend. You know, I, I said it on the podcast that this case went wrong because the police were looking for a monster. They were they were looking for a boogeyman when they when they pulled those bodies out of the out of that creek, they saw the injuries and they thought there was this big bad boogeyman monster out there that did this satanic cult ritualistic all that. But but the reality is what we just described, that's the monster. The, the yeah. monster doesn't have to look the, the way you think that the monster looks. The monster is very likely someone with a close known personal relationship to at least one of those boys and is scared enough that understands, you know, it's, um, 
I, I've I've seen a number of uh, confessions and things like that. That you know the the guy that did it, and and rape followed by a murder is really typical of this, where the 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 lust and the desire and the, just the overwhelming uh, urge and impulse and everything that especially that men um, have sometimes to you know accomplish that release that once that happens they then come to their senses and they realize what they've done and this actually there there was another case that uh, the MVAC helped solve and they got this kind of confession from this guy um Sharon Schulmeyer's was the victim's name up in Salt Lake City if you want to look it up but the, in in his confession that's kind of what he said was that once once uh you know he he finished and and the rape had occurred he came to his senses he said this girl has seen me she knows who i am i have to kill her because if i don't i'm done and so he had to kill her and then kind of staged uh her body in a way that uh nobody would supposedly suspect him and Amazingly, he was the apartment manager where she lived, and he actually let her mom into the apartment the next morning to let let the victim's mom find her daughter, you know, uh, naked and tied up in the bathtub. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think some of these some of these monsters uh, start out that way, but uh, everything kind of builds on itself and. These guys go from making a massive mistake to becoming a monster. And like you said in the in the docuseries, uh, I, I think that's kind of what happened as well. God, it, my personal theory on the case is that one of the boys were murdered out of anger, out of uh, a loss of temper. I don't think it was some premeditated thing. And then the the offender was then left with two witnesses and so they but but even still like you're right thing, things escalate but there's still there's something inside you that that that's just awful they can look at that and because because essentially this is the decision they're making there's yeah well now i have to kill them because they've seen me but the but the decision they're making is i don't want to lose my life so i'm going to take yours instead and in this case, it was to take two more eight-year-old innocent boys' lives to trade it for themselves. So, you know, it's, 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 it's an escalation um, that was probably never intended. But that, in my opinion, that monster was always in there. Has to be. Oh, sure. And, and, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but there's, there's a certain... Because you also see crimes where something like this happens. And then the person, when they kind of say, come to their senses you know, even in a murder and they break down and they, they confess, they call the police on themselves. You see people, you know, where situations like this have happened, happened before. Um, but it, it, it's really something else to, to decide some, not only was the first person's life more important than yours, that might've been a fit of rage and you, and you know, you can maybe you were out of your mind and didn't realize what you were doing and you wouldn't have done it in your right mind. But then you make a conscious, conscious, logical decision to take more life. That's that's a monster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not. Oh, my gosh. 
it, it is really hard, I think, for the vast majority of society to even comprehend that. And mm-hmm. I've also kind of explored the Lord of the Flies and kind of the whole, you know, mindset behind that. And, you know, m- many of us, um, th- there's an evil lurking in many of us. And I think that there's a few things in life that, uh, well, there's a number of most things in life especially, you know, being raised by parents and having to believe in God and, you know, all these different things that would allow us and, and prevent us from ever allowing that monster to come out. But it's in there. And for a lot of people, uh, it's in there a, a lot stronger and a lot deeper than, than others. And if you, if they ever allow themselves to get into a scenario like this and who knows, you know, maybe the guy was drunk, maybe he had some chemicals in him, it, but regardless, that doesn't matter. The, the fact is, like you said, this guy most likely did something out of rage. And, and then, you know, rather than stopping at that moment, and that was a decision tree right there. You know, at mm-hmm. that junction, he decided he was going to take two other innocent lives of, of an eight-year-old. Like, I have, I have three boys and uh, the twins just turned, or they're, they're about to turn 12 and the youngest is 10. And so I, you know, eight-year-old is, eight-year-old boys is very, very um, real in my life right now. And mm-hmm. the thought of, the thought of, you know, what it would take to kill even one of them or be so mad that I would do something, you know, to even harm one of those boys it, to me just doesn't even register. And I, and I think for the 99.9% of, of all men out there, that's probably where, where they are as well. But that 1%, you know, the, the ones that um, just don't have the, the personal discipline, you know, it's possible. Yeah. Well, thankfully you've made some technology that, that can catch some of those guys now. Yeah. And we are. And, um, yeah, and thankfully, there's guys like you out there that can dig deep enough into some of these uh, some of these cases and and bring up bring up things that nobody ever looked at. So, hey, I know you're uh, you're you're headed off to another appointment. So uh, this has been a fantastic discussion, man. I sure appreciate you coming on. No, I appreciate you having me, and and, and really congratulations on the work you've done with MBAC, and hopefully we'll be connecting soon on the West Memphis Three case. Absolutely. Hey, b- before we go, why don't you um, tell everybody how they can listen to your podcast and, and get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, it's, it's just, if you just look on anywhere you get your podcast, Truth and Justice. Um, there's like, right now we're in a, we're between seasons, so we're just doing bonus episodes. We had Jared on uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, just doing um, case relevant interviews while we're prepping for our next season, um, and then. Uh, each season is its own case. If you're interested in the West Memphis three season, that's season five. Um, you can get that anywhere. You listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Google, wherever. Um, true crime binge is the same. You like conversational with different true crime podcasters. You can find that anywhere you get your podcasts and the forgotten West Memphis three, you can check out. Um, if it's not running right now on oxygen, I'm, I'm, I think now you can get it on Amazon. It's a four, four hour, four parts docuseries. And it is absolutely well worth watching. So, hey, thanks again, Bob. It has been fantastic and hope you have a great day. You too. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for joining us. 
Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.